Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's wonderful to see you all. It really is wonderful to be here. It really is wonderful to be here. And I wonder if you quickly, before I say anything more, if you could grab hold of your Bible. This is not what I'm going to preach, but it's coming out of the worship, similar to what. Go to Isaiah, or however you pronounce his name. Isaiah. Remember, we're going to ask all these people when we get to heaven how their name is pronounced. I think we're all going to be shocked. Isaiah, or Isaiah chapter 6. Just as we were singing that song, Holy, Holy, this is the chapter that came to my mind, chapter 6. Many of you know it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Think about that. This man saw the Lord, seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe for the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of the voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And then when we see the Lord, we begin to see our condition before him. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, It's like he heard the Father and the Son speaking. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? For us. It's the Father and the Son speaking. And I said, Here I am, send me. This is an amazing piece of scripture that when we see the Lord and his transcendent beauty and what the angels are doing, something shifts inside us and we begin to see our state before our holy God. But because of Jesus Christ, we can come into his presence and stand unhindered in his holiness, in his presence, because of Jesus Christ. Nothing because of what we've done. And when that happens and we understand that, something shifts inside us and we want to tell others about it. And that's what actually happened, yeah. We want to declare it to others. We want to speak Jesus because of what's happened, yeah. And so I want to encourage you. Be open to speak Jesus wherever the opportunity arrives. In your way, your style, whatever it means to you. Even if you just speak it into the atmosphere in your home, as Dwayne said, into your workplace, when you're in your car, whatever. Speak Jesus. Speak the reality of what is touched in you, because that has impact out there. It's a wonderful piece of scripture. Amen. All right, to start again. Good morning. All right. Just a couple of things. Clayton wants to ask me to say this. He is not well. He is sick. He's been sick for a couple of days. He had a very high fever. I don't know if it's come down, Jen. I'm not sure. It has. It was in the hundreds for a couple of days. So he's still not well. So please pray for him. Um, he just isn't well. It's period. That's, I don't know what else to say. 
So just pray for him. And then last week, Michelle and I, just for those of you who are aware, some of you know Stephen Debbie Sudworth. I know Dwayne knows him and some of you. Their oldest daughter got married last weekend, and that's where Michelle and I were. That's amazing. So uh, their oldest daughter got married, and we were part of that. We were privileged to be part of that. All right. I want to continue with the subject of marriage. Clayton asked if I would do it, so I said, yeah, I should. And if you're single, please don't dial out. Please don't dial out, because I wish I knew what I know now when I was single, if you understand what I'm saying. It just helps facilitate what's coming down. And if you're single because your spouse has passed away, I encourage you also to listen. And if you're single because you are unfortunately divorced, Please, that is not the biggest unforgivable sin, divorce. Some people treat other people, it is not. Life happens, unfortunately. But you've got to move on. Forgive, let go, and move on with what the Lord has. You can't live in the past. Amen. God has things to come. But I encourage you also to listen. So, first of all, before I get, this is an old book. You can see by the cover and the photograph. It's a book by Derek Prince. It's called The Marriage Covenant. I encourage every single married person to get it and read it. Read it together. I really encourage you. One or two things I'm going to mention were taken out of this book right towards the end, just so you know. But I encourage you. It's one of, for me, when I first read it, like two years after I got saved, it had a profound impact upon me. So I want to encourage you to get that book. Really help you. Just a little bit of context, a little bit of background. I have half an hour left. Um, I was not saved for 33 years of my life. At the age of 33, the Lord intervened. Thank the Lord for that. And I met the Lord, or rather I surrendered to his calling, and it had a dramatic impact upon me. I had been married for nine years. I'd lived like a bachelor, so when I came in, my precious wife. So for nine years, unsaved, I was not... We didn't have a bad marriage, don't get me wrong, but I just lived like a bachelor. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how else to say it. I was more concerned about what I wanted to do than our marriage and our family, although I loved them both and I still love my wife, and I want to thank you. She never put pressure on me to go to church, although she was going. She never put pressure on me to do any of that. She just let the Lord have his way with me. So I want to encourage your spouses, let that happen. Just pray for them. And then I got saved at 33. So now we've been married for 45 years. Yeah, yeah, amen. 45 years. It has been a journey. It's been a great journey. It's had its moments. My wife has come in line at last. So, um, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But it's only by the grace of God and the goodness of God. So I want to talk a little bit out of that. That's what I want to do. Because everything changed for me the day I got saved. I didn't understand it. I understood it in the years that unfolded. And um, as I said, our marriage was not in a bad place in any form or any shape. But something shifted. All of a sudden, our marriage got better emotionally. It got better spiritually. It got better mentally. And it got better physically. Yet it wasn't in a bad place. Because that's what God does. Because something shifted inside me. And we continue to develop. We really continue to and I only see that it's the amazing grace of God that got us to the place that we are today. So I want to touch on three truths concerning marriage. Three foundational truths 
that help me, because I can always only speak out of the stuff that is real in my own heart. And I want to speak them in the order that they unfolded in my life. And so Clayton called this series, The Marriage and the Gospel. And so I want to shift that slightly, because I know what he meant. I want to say it's marriage and the gospel of the kingdom. It changes everything. And that's the first part I want to talk about, marriage and the gospel of the kingdom. It is critical, I found it very critical and of vital importance to see the difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. The vast difference. The gospel of salvation basically says believe in Jesus so that when you die, you will go to heaven. And that's true. Jesus died on the cross so I can be forgiven to have eternal life. That's true, but it's not complete. It's not complete. It is only part of what Jesus preached. It's a very limiting message, unfortunately. So when Jesus walked on the earth, and one of his first public statements was, repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand, which includes salvation. But the kingdom is at hand. And we know that Jesus went around preaching the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom. John chapter 3, don't turn there, verse 3 to 6 says this, Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom. Unless you're born again, you will not enter into the kingdom. Not salvation. The kingdom. And it has a huge implication on us. So what's the difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel of salvation emphasizes Jesus as Savior. The gospel of the kingdom emphasizes Jesus as Lord. The gospel of salvation speaks of freedom from the penalty of sin. The gospel of the kingdom speaks of freedom from the power of sin. Vastly different. The gospel of salvation aims to produce converts. The gospel of the kingdom aims to produce disciples. The gospel of salvation is about escaping, where the gospel of the kingdom is about advancing the kingdom. It's not escaping, it's advancing, pushing back the works of darkness. It is not so much, sorry, sir. These two messages are not opposed to one another, the one is in the other. The gospel of salvation must be preached as part of the overall gospel of the kingdom, but not as the entire message itself. God certainly wants people to get saved, have eternal life, but the gospel is broader than this. When we keep it just to the gospel of salvation, what happens is we miss the other parts of the gospel of the kingdom, which includes physical healing and deliverance, which is very much part of what Jesus came to do. So what does this have to do with marriage? Everything. Everything. As I gave priority in my life, as I learned to give priority in my life to the kingdom, coming and align the kingdom values to permeate my life, my marriage was strengthened and deepened. I find people, if they focus on having a good marriage instead of focusing on the kingdom, we miss it. If we focus on King Jesus and who he is, he loves my wife more than I love my wife. He knows more about her than I know about her. He knows more about her needs than I know about her needs. 
And so he can speak to me and say, Ken, do this for your wife. Or change this attitude towards her. When our desire is to please him before my wife, your marriage will get strengthened. Then the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes within my heart. And so when the Lord says to me, tell her that you were unfaithful before I got saved, I told her. Because I want his kingdom to come. And most of you know that story, so I don't want to repeat it. Tell her. It was scary. And I said, Lord, if that's you, you've got to prepare her. And months went by, and he did. And I said, Lord, she's got to bring it up. I tried to make it difficult, and she brought it up. She just said, by the way, and she didn't have to say another word. It was 10 o'clock one night, and Clayton and Chantel were young in bed. She ended up praying for me, not me for her. You see, that's allowing the kingdom to come into my marriage. When the Lord says, apologize, then I apologize. Even when I think she's in the wrong. (laughs) Because the Lord said it. When the Lord says, listen to her. After fasting for four days without food and just drinking water, and the only thing the Lord said to me was, listen to your wife. Thank you, Lord. Then I learned to listen to her. Because that's allowing the kingdom to come. That's allowing his rule and his reign in his presence to have dominion into my life. When the Lord says, buy her flowers, which he does sometimes, I buy her flowers. It's a simple thing. And then she thinks I'm wonderful because I bought her flowers. You understand the difference? That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't seek a good marriage first. Seek my kingdom first. Let that be the focus, not this. This will improve because God is committed to this, which I'm coming to later. In a marriage, unlike in any other relationship, as this is like the good news, bad news, in a marriage, unlike any other relationship, conflict will arise. If you've been married more than maybe two days, <laughs> conflict will arise. At first you hide it, but then afterwards you talk about it or you show it. And I found that when conflict arises, what it does, it allows me to see what's happening here that is still unredeemed, that hasn't been touched by him. The sole part that is still busy being sanctified. And I've said this before, so when my wife and I have a disagreement, in 45 years, not once has the Lord said, you're right, Ken, not once, not once. He's always said to me, Ken, how's your heart? How's your heart? Then I've got to let his kingdom come, and it's not so easy at times. And it begins to change stuff inside you, and then I respond in a different manner. The good news is when we become aware of it, 
and we turn to the Lord and allow him access into that area, he brings victory. He brings victory. So if I get upset with my wife, this is, I'm just telling you the way I deal with it. I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, what, what she said or what she did, why did that make me upset? Because if I'm dead, I'm dead. Ah, uh-huh, hello. There's something that's still not dead inside of me. So help me. Help me. Help me bring a death to it by your grace. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And if you've got a Bible, go with me to Romans chapter 5, please. And I have given my wife permission to come and say something, and she can even correct me, and I'm teasing. <laughs> and she feels she needs to say something, because we were going to share it, but there were a lot that happened this week. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. That word sufferings is pleasure, affliction, and hardship. It has nothing to do with sickness. There's pressure in marriage. Sometimes there's a hardship in marriage. Sometimes there's just affliction that comes in a marriage. And we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance is patient and swerving endurance. Constantly turning to the Lord. Constantly standing steadfast on the truth. Produces perseverance and perseverance character. And that word character means developed, approved, tried, integrity, and faith. So something gets honed inside of me. That can only come sometimes through conflict. And as I address it correctly and don't feel sorry for myself and stand in a corner and eat worms, if you understand what I'm saying, and woe is me, but as I address it to the Lord, and as I continue to address it to the Lord, He does a work in me, ongoingly, that hones and changes my character within me. And then the Bible says, and carry, after carry comes hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured His love by His Holy Spirit in our hearts. Rejoice in suffering, the Bible says. Now, that's not easy. I understand that. And I find in marriage, this is where sometimes the biggest conflict comes, where the most honing comes, because I can't, I can be one person to you, up front here, and another person at home, but my wife knows who I am at home. And I trust I'm the same person as I am at home. I really trust that. Otherwise, there's no integrity. It's just not real. But she knows me. Amen. I can't hide this stuff from her. She knows it. And vice versa. So, that's what I find if we understand the kingdom. The good news, the kingdom will come because the Lord is committed to coming in my life so my marriage improves. The next point, very simple, is fellowship. And it's a similar, it flows on from the first point. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Learning to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. There needs to arise within us a knowing 
that the power that enables and makes the Christian life possible, which includes my marriage, is only possible by the Holy Spirit. You have to have that conviction in you. You cannot walk this Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You cannot do what he's called you to do without the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. We need the Holy Spirit. No other power can enable us to live that kind of life and my marriage that God is looking for. It cannot be done by our own will or our own strength. It is impossible. It can only be done in total dependency upon his grace and the Holy Spirit. So the key is knowing how to release the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and my marriage so we can respond to the things we cannot do in our strength. So when conflict comes, that's what I said, i got to then lean on the Holy Spirit. i got to find out from the Holy Spirit what is happening here and what is happening here. And if I can hear from Him and respond to Him, something shifts here because my heart is different. It's no longer a finger-pointing exercise. It's no longer a blaming point of exercise. It's coming alongside my wife and us together looking at the Lord say, Lord... We're looking to you to sort something out here. Yeah. We'll allow the Holy Spirit to come and do what only he can do. The old carnal nature opposes the Holy Spirit. The old carnal nature is your soul part that's still unregenerated, that's still busy being renewed, which is your will, your emotions, and your mind, or your intelligence. The old carnal nature opposes the Holy Spirit. The very nature and character of the old, old nature within us is such that it does not submit to the Holy Spirit. And I'll read some scriptures for you. Let's go to, so we can see. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Are you all still with me? Praise the living Lord. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. When you get saved, you know this, I preached on it, your spirit man comes alive. You're born again, you're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. You're linked with the Lord, he comes and lives within you. But there's a part of you, your mind still thinks like it used to think. There's desires in you that still want to do what they used to do. And your will is still learning to come under submission to your spirit. That's your old carnal nature. That's busy being best word I can say is put under the dominion of the Spirit of God that is within you. And it's a process of learning to do that. So Galatians 5 verse 16 says, I say live by or walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. They're enemies. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It's not bad news, it's good news, because the Lord wins. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Paul says a similar thing in Romans 8, and I'm going to read a passage out of the translation, the passage, the Passion Translation. Let's go to 8 verse 5. Chapter 8 verse 5 says this. 
Those who live according to the sinful nature or the unregenerated nature, because he's talking to Christians, have their minds set in what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set in what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, in other words, separation. But the mind controlled, or rather better word, is influenced or comes under the dominion of the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God. Hello? So the Bible tells us clearly, this is what the Passion Translation says. Those who are motivated by the flesh, some Bibles use the word flesh, same thing, only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to His direction because it cannot. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you're not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. So it's learning to walk like that. And I find that in marriage, that comes to the fore many times. Because the old nature wants to pop up. And the way I know it pops up is that there's three simple words that I know it pops up. I want, I think, I feel. It's all about me. I want this. That's my wall. I think this. I feel this. It's an emotion. This part needs to be subject or rather brought under the influence of the Spirit of God. It takes time. Be patient with yourselves. Be patient with one another. Have grace for one another. And, but as you turn to the Lord and you change the I want to, Lord, what would you want? What would you want to do in this situation? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? What do you need to change in me? You see, the focus is different. The focus is different. That's what begins to happen. And we're going to walk into and live out all that God desires as we learn to do that over and over. And I apologize for repeating this example, but it's the best example, and I've repeated it a couple of times. And this is how I learned this. I was reading my Bible one day in my office, being a very good Christian. I really apologize because many have heard this. Reading my Bible, and my wife walked in, and she started to speak to me, and I didn't even lift my head, and I uh, stopped reading because my attention was taken, but I didn't lift and say hi, whatever the case is. She said something, but I have no clue what she said. And then I heard the door close, but it wasn't gently. So the peace I had in reading the Bible was gone. The atmosphere changed. And I'm sitting there, in my mind I'm saying, Ma, I'm just being a good Christian. I'm serious. And in my heart says, go and apologize. That was the Spirit of God speaking. My mind says, you did nothing wrong. <laughs> My heart says, go and apologize. My mind says, it's not your fault. <laughs> My heart says, go and apologize. 
Now I have a choice to make. Now I have a choice to make. That's what happens in marriage. Now I have a choice to make. I can either go by what my head's saying or what my heart's saying. And you know why I got up and did it? Because I love Jesus. That's the only reason why I got up. The only reason I got up is because I love the Lord. No other reason got me up. And I got up very begrudgingly, to be honest. And I walked in the house. And Michelle was in the bedroom and she was weeping. And I said, we need to talk. Not very pleasantly, unfortunately. And we went into the lounge and she sat in that corner and I sat in that corner over there. (laughs) You know, married people know what I'm talking about. And I just said, I'm sorry. I didn't justify it. I didn't say why. I just said, I'm sorry. And as I said that, I felt the peace of God come over me again. And I knew it was the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because I had obeyed the promptings of the Spirit and not the promptings of the flesh. And you walk that your whole day, every day, people. You have to learn to recognize that. And the more we learn to obey the promptings of the Spirit, the more it gets, how do I put this? Not easier. What's the right word? Sorry? You get more tuned in more regularly, and it flows a lot quicker, and it flows a lot easier. Because now I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to direct my life. In a simple decision like that, simple little thing, it's not earth-shattering. It's not going to touch anybody, change it. But it's a simple thing. Just going to apologize. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul is saying there. Because you have the Spirit of God in you. If you're born again, the Spirit of God is within you. And he'll speak to you. He'll direct you. Trust me, he will do that. Because he's for you. He's not against you. I'll give you another example. We came, we planted this church, or we facilitated help in this church, and um, we were here about three months, and there was a group of people that came from another church, and I'm not going to say who, some people know, because they've been here a while, and the group of, I don't know, 20, 15, 20, 20 people all of a sudden came to be part of this church, and some of them were wonderful people. I can see that where they had come from, they had been trained and equipped and I thought my wherever they've come from that's a wonderful church and I wanted to actually phone up that church find out and thank them and then I got a phone call from that church and they said they wanted to see me so I said well that's great I want to go say hello and introduce myself we had only been here three months so I'm just looking for a tissue you got to have long fingers to get in this thing we'll get it out this is like a, what do you call it, lucky dip. Um, and so I got there, and I thought I was just going to speak to one guy. There were three guys in the office, and I thought, uh-oh. And I could feel the atmosphere. There's something wasn't what I expected. And um, they started to question me in terms of why I stole their people. And I said, that was never my heart. It was never my intention. I said, in actual fact, I wanted to thank you for your people. You've done a lot of work in them, and I'm here not to take people, I'm here to extend the kingdom. It's not about the church I led, it's about the kingdom of God coming. And so we chatted and chatted, but on the way there, the Lord said to me, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I thought, why is the Lord telling me that? And so when I was in there, I always had an opportunity to justify some things, and I didn't. I just said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to touch any or take your people. 
Just a gentle answer turns away wrath. We spent a couple of hours together. We built a great relationship. They actually gave us a check for the church, our church, <laughs> afterwards. That's what God does when we hear him. So I encourage you, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's absolute key. All right, let me get to... Now, the last one, I want to, oh, suffering catfish. We've got four minutes to get through this. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5. I'll get through this as quick as I can. Ephesians chapter 5. Scripture you well know, very well know. Verse 31 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. This is a profound mystery, Paul says. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. This word mystery is not something hidden from us. It's something hidden for us. That God will not reveal just to the casual observer. God will begin to unfold and reveal the mysteries of the secrets of the kingdom as we seek him and as we push into him. And there's something in this concerning marriage to parallels the church and Christ. That's what it does. It's the same word used in Colossians where Paul writes, and um, uh, I, was, I was released to declare this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. It's exactly the same word. It's a mystery that Christ can live in a human body. It's a mystery. It's a divine mystery. And it's, there's, a, there's something that gets revealed in the things of marriage that is key to this marriage, which God begins to unveil. Because marriage, marriage, the Bible, this is the way that passion translates. Marriage is a beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery, meant to be vivid example of Christ and His church. And so there's something in there that God wants to unfold, and I can't just come to it willy-nilly. God will begin to reveal to me. And this is, the, this is what He revealed to me years later. As I begin to read that book, something happened inside me. Ecclesiastes 4, I'm trying to go through it fast. Verse Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 12 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, the companion can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. And if two lie down, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defeat and defeat them. Then Solomon just adds this last verse in. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. But he's talking about two people, now it's a cord of three strands. The principle from which Solomon starts, two are better than one, agrees for the reason that God originally gave for a mate for Adam. It is not good for man to be alone. Solomon goes on to give three examples that clearly illustrate this principle. When two are together... One falls, the other one can help him up. If two lie down, they keep each other warm. If two are attacked, they can drive off the attacker. But the last example, Solomon says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. In this case, the strength is supplied not merely by two, but by three. And so the secret of real good marriage is a cord of three strands. It's man, woman, and God in covenant. 
in covenant. God made a covenant for marriage. A covenant. It's not a relationship. It's not a contract. It is a covenant that God orchestrated, God designed, God set the parameters, God set the value on it, not man. God. In Genesis. And it's a covenant. So marriage is a covenant. It's not a partnership. As I said, it's not a contract. It's a covenant between a man, a woman, and God. And this, started, this truth started unfolding me. This covenant was initiated by God, not man. Out of his own choice, out of his own decision. He defined the terms of the covenant. Not man, not a government. Man's part is to respond and accept. That's it. So when I got married to her, even though I was unsaved, God knew what was coming down the line. I entered into covenant with her. And when I got saved, this covenant became a reality to me that God had put us together. And he's involved in this. And he made a covenant. And when you enter into a covenant, when God enters into a covenant, there's no more that he can do to commit himself Covenant represents final, irrevocable commitment. It's like God said, I am committed to you two. Completely committed to you two. I'm committed. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. (laughs) He's never going to withdraw out of it because he's committed to it. Bring such safety and such security. And when God makes a covenant, it's an interesting note. When God made a covenant with Abram, and I don't have time to go into it, in Genesis 15, when the Bible says, Abram, they were talk, he was talking to the Lord, and the Lord said, it's not by that, that, that man that your descendants will come, it'll be by your son, that's a future that's still to come. And then Abram went outside, looked up, saw the stars, and the Bible said he believed in it, it was credited at righteousness. Two verses later, he says, God, how will I know that what you told me is going to happen? So God puts him asleep. He cuts up some animals, he separates them, and they walk between the animals. And halfway through that process, the Bible says this, now, Abram, you will know for certain that this will happen. God entered into covenant with Abram. Right there. And from that time on, every word that God spoke to Abram was never in the future tense. It was past tense. It was never, I will give you this land as I've given it to you. It's done now. That's what covenant does. Your marriage is covenanted with the Lord Jesus Christ. Covenant with God the Father. He's committed to even probably more than I am. Because <laughs> he's made a covenant. And the Bible tells us whenever there's a covenant, there must be a sacrifice. And it's, we don't have time. In Hebrews chapter 9, it tells us there has to be a death and there has to be a sacrifice. And so the sacrifice upon which the Christian marriage is based, the covenant of the Christian marriage is based on the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He's the sacrifice by which... I came to Michelle, and Michelle comes to me. We come through him. And as I come through him, I died, and I came alive. She died, and she came alive. The Lord died for us. Now we live to one another.
now in covenant. Hallelujah. There are three successful, give me five more minutes. There are three successive stages in the outworking of the relationship. First, the life is laid down. Each lays down his life for the other. The husband looks back at Christ's death on the cross and says, that death was my death. When I came through the cross, I died. Now I no longer live for myself. The wife lives, the wife looks back at the cross and says the same. That death was my death. When I came to the cross, I died. I'm no longer living for myself. From now on, I hold nothing back from my wife, and my wife holds nothing back. Everything I have is hers, and everything she has is mine. No reservations, nothing held back. That's why now I know when the Lord said to me, tell your wife, because there couldn't be any secrets between us. Because of the covenant. Second, out of that death comes a new life. Now each lives their own life through the other. My husband says to the wife, my life is in you. I'm living out my life through you. You are the expression of what I am. Likewise, the wife says to the husband, my life is in you. I'm living out my life through you. You are the expression of who I am. And third, the covenant is consummated by physical union, the act of sex. That's how it's consummated in the eyes of the Lord. Sex is wonderful in the eyes of the Lord. It's very sacred. Why? And I don't know how old the kids are here. Because when a man and a woman get married and the man enters the woman on their first wedding night, today it doesn't happen, but the woman's hymen is broken and blood is shed. And when blood is shed, God says, now sanctify this. I now sanctify this marriage. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Go read it. It's all in there. And the devil has perverted that thing badly, unfortunately. Very badly. It's very interesting as well. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Adam knew Eve and she bore a child. When you enter into covenant with your spouse, you get to know one another. Whenever in the Bible there was no covenant involved, the Bible says he lay with her. Totally different word. Because God's not involved in it. So I hope this is helpful. You're all very quiet. I'm all worried. Maybe I'm getting too tense. I don't know. Covenant gives marriage its strength and its security. That's what it does. Covenant. So even when I mess up, God is committed to my marriage. We want to mess up again, but God is committed. Even when I mess up, God is committed to my marriage. Hallelujah. Gives me such hope and such grace. My wife needs lots of it, but anyway. And, uh, so I'll finish with this. Learn to keep a soft heart and a clean conscience in your marriage by obeying the Holy Spirit's promptings. Learn to keep a soft heart and a clear conscience. And I end with the two biggest keys that I found practically in my marriage. Communication. We had to learn to communicate, and she taught me. How to learn to communicate. You have to learn to communicate. Because you can say the same thing, but you're on different pages. When she got sick, mother put her in bed, opened the curtains, sat on the bed, and spoke to her. When I got sick, my mother put me in bed, drew the curtains, closed the door, and went out. We get married. She gets sick. I walk in, close the curtains, close the door, walk out. She's crying. You don't love me. I gave all the love I knew. So when I got sick, she wants to come and sit on the bed. I said, leave me alone. Come here out. We communicate in love, but receiving rejection, because that's what we were taught. And so we had to learn to communicate. Hello, you with me? Simple things like that. 
And I want to encourage you, communicate about your kids. Find a biblical value concerning the raising of your kids. Together, discuss it and decide what your biblical value is on raising your kids. On your sexual life, on your finances, that's all that you have. Find together your value concerning that stuff. And find together your value concerning family, in-laws, etc., etc. Develop a kingdom value together concerning those areas. Then you live by that. Amen. And the last thing I want to say, oh, my wife wants to say something. So I was going to get all the men to stand up and say two words and your marriage will be fine. Yes, dear. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Um, this is a subject we could obviously take weeks and months to speak about. People, many people do conferences about it because it's so important. Yeah. Ladies, we are a helpmeet. That doesn't mean we serve like and just are trampled on at all. But internally, there's a desire within us to help our husbands, to, to really just help them and be there for them and support them. That's there. Sometimes that can come out a bit like mothering and telling them what to do. That's never helpful. Yeah. Never, never, never helpful. But that thing of being there together and walking together, and I had to learn that. I had to learn when, when I felt Ken was doing something wrong or I thought there was a better way, I would say to him, you know, you should rather do this. And I had to learn that that's not always very helpful. I had to learn how to do that, how to pray into it, how to consider it. I had to learn how to support him in a way that um, wasn't uh, mothering. You know, people will say, you know, you should tell your husband this. He's not my child. He's my husband. I respect him and I honor him with every part of who I am. Sometimes he makes mistakes. Does that mean I doesn't, don't honor him? No. Very, very seldom. Very, very seldom, obviously. <laughs> I honor who he is. I honor Christ in him. I honor the man that God gave to me. Yes, I make mistakes. Yes, he makes mistakes. We work through them. We don't leave them undealt with. Sometimes when um, things are tense, we step aside. But we always come back and work through it 100%. There is nothing hidden between us. Absolutely nothing. And there is such safety and security in a marriage, and a, hus a wife needs that. You need that safety and security. Ken can go minister around the nations. It's quite actually funny. Sometimes he comes home, you know his ministry, and everybody always cries and all the rest of it. He comes home, and I'm doing his laundry, and there's lipstick on this and lipstick on that collar, and we just laugh about it. He grows across the nations. There's no issue. We speak all the time. I pray for him. He prays for me. Whether he's away or not, we're completely in, in unity. And when we're not, we pause everything, and that gets dealt with. We serve one another. We really do. I love to honor my husband. I love to, I love to just be with him. I really do. We love being together all the time. But that's taken time, and it's taken years. And... God taught us. As I said, my family came... Sorry, I know we're going on a little. My family um, 
we were very outspoken and all just gave us opinions on everything. And we still do. We love that. And that's great with my family. Ken's family never gave opinions. So we get married and he says something and I automatically give him my opinion. It didn't go down well. And I'm thinking, why ever not? For me, my opinion's a suggestion. You don't have to do it. It's just an opinion. I had to learn how to give opinions. <laughs> and he had to learn that my opinions aren't telling him what to do. Together, we learned. You become one. And I want to say marriage is so beautiful. You become one. The picture I had, when I was just praying about this thing, was of if you take two puzzle pieces. Can you hold the mic for me? If you take two puzzle pieces and you put them together, but they're different shapes, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's the right puzzle, and you put them in, maybe this touches and that touches, that's when you get married. That's the covenant. But as you grow in marriage, those pieces soften and they blend and they become one. Yes, you become one the day you're married, but you really become one as you grow in the Lord and as you grow with each other, where there's such a blending that the color, the multitude of color, the facets of who he is and who I am come together. And that family and that union is so one that it is one of the most beautiful things on the planet. And that's why I believe the Lord has given us marriage. And he speaks about marriage in the way of we're gonna be, we are the bride of Christ. There is nothing more beautiful when it's worked out and that blending becomes so one. And yet, even in that, we have our moments. But we pause and she we deal does. with it. <laughs> Always me. <laughs> Bless you, Kevin. So I hope this has been helpful. I've just tried to be very open and honest and whatever out of my own life. And I encourage you, develop, develop kingdom, kingdom values for your kids, your sexual life, money, and your family. Because those are the touch points in a marriage, mainly. And just deal with expectations. Sometimes I put an expectation, or she doesn't meet it, and I get upset. So don't do that, I encourage you. All right, so remember, it's kingdom, fellowship, and covenant. So rather than me pray, what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to stretch you a little bit. We've got one minute. Actually, we're four, four, ten minutes over. I'd love you, if you're a married couple, take two minutes to stand and pray for one another. It doesn't have to be long. If you're single, pray for your parents or pray for your mom and dad. Um, if for whatever reason you don't have a mom and dad, pray for marriage for your marriage to come one day down the line. Amen. Can you do that? And that's how we'll end. Bless you all. Thank you. Pray well together.